Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you with me today. It's you know, it's always great to have uh, past guests, but uh, new guests are fun too. I mean, today's guest, we're going to talk with Chris Larson. He's the founder and managing partner of Next Level Income, and Chris has been investing in and managing real estate for over 20 years. While he was still a college student, he bought his first rental property at age 21. From there, Chris expanded into development, private lending, buying distressed debt, as well as commercial offices, and ultimately syndicating multifamily properties. He began syndicating deals in 2016 and has been actively involved in over $225 million of real estate acquisitions. Chris is passionate about helping investors become financially independent. Who doesn't want that? Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's an interesting uh, background. I have a son who's almost 21, and uh, I'd love for him to buy his first rental property at age 21. I don't know how you pulled that off, but well, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about your, your, uh, a little bit about you. More, give us more of your background. Tell us more about uh, how you thought to even buy a, your first rental property and get into real estate at 21. Why'd you fall in love with real estate? Yeah, Bill. Well, first off, I fell in love with freedom. And I always tell people I raced bicycle start when I was age 14. I ended up going to Virginia Tech to study biomechanical engineering, but I was really there to race my bike. I knew two weeks in, I didn't want to be an engineer. And I'd, I'd arranged my classes around my training, which is one of the ways that enabled me to really maximize my time because I'd have to figure out all right, if I have to train four hours this day, when am I going to go to class? I can you know, move some stuff around. And unbeknownst to me, it helped me really figure out how to maximize you know, the time that I had in my life. Between my freshman and sophomore years in college, uh, let me back up here. My, my freshman year in college, a family friend, the same one that got me into cycling, gave me a money magazine that talked about opening a Roth IRA and compound interest. And I just remember seeing that you know, compound interest curve going exponential after about 20 years. And I thought, this makes right. a lot of sense. I opened, yep. I opened my account with Vanguard. And then ultimately, um, a couple years later, I started day trading. But really what trans my best friend, my training partner, and my college roommate, Chris, passed away. And that was between my freshman and sophomore year of college. I came back. I raced for another year. And then I quit because I wasn't happy racing. I knew I was meant for more. But I wasn't racing. I didn't want to be an engineer. But I still had this, this thirst for freedom. And I started really pouring my, my time and my energy into learning how to be an investor. I ultimately got an MBA in portfolio management. But along the way, after day trading and making a bunch of money and losing money and staying up, you know, 3 a.m., 
looking at the ceiling, thinking, you know, what's the portfolio going to do today? What's the stock market going to do today? And this was in the late 90s, kind of like today, where the market is very volatile and it's on, on a real tear. I thought, mm-hmm. what what is an option for me 20 years from now? So I'm not laying here at 3 a.m. when I have kids and a family to, to think about supporting. And I started reading about other options, going to different seminars. And I knew about real estate because my parents had a couple rentals. Just They had two or three single-family rentals. And I ended up buying one of the townhouses down the road from where I live. I rented out two of the rooms, and now they call that house hacking. And from there, I built a portfolio of single-family rentals before ultimately transitioning, as you mentioned in the intro, into commercial. Yeah, the gr- great idea. I mean, it, um, I'm sure that uh, that at that point, um, that was a stretch for you, right? Did you... Did you had you had saved up some money? Had you borrowed money? How did how did you get into that first rental property? Yeah, great question. So uh, back then, well, and today there are incentives for first-time homebuyers, and I bought a ninety-thousand-dollar townhouse with less than three thousand dollars. My mother co-signed on the loan with me, so I was able to uh, get the loan that way. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, and uh, and. The payoff on that, I'm sure, has been many, many, many times over. But that got you started on this path of thinking about, um, you know, boy, that worked. What else can I do? How else can I take $3,000 and turn it into a money machine down the road? And since then, you've gotten into equities, oil and gas, small business lending, um, and, and even involved in something called Venture South, one of the nation's 10 angel investing groups. So is this basically been what you've done um, all your life? I mean, what you, what, do you have a day job? <laughs> I used to. So that's another great question. Um, when, you, when you come from you know, a middle-class family, you don't have a ton of money, you have to figure out a way to get the capital to invest. So as, as I set out to be an investor, I realized very quickly, Bill, that I would not be as successful if I, had, if I didn't have capital to invest. So I thought, okay, if I want to be an investor, how am I going to make money? I always like sales. I started selling wrapping paper when I was 12, um, newspapers, all kinds of different things. And, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad talked about how sales gave you a lot of freedom to live where you want, you know, go where you want. I thought, well, that that suits me well. I ended up uh, fortuitously meeting an individual that sold implants, hip implants, knee implants, trauma implants, which is one of the things that we explored and designed in my undergrad program. I thought, how cool is this that this individual gets to work in the OR and gets to work with surgeons, some of the smartest people out there. And I actually looked at uh, doing um, a, uh, an, a um, getting an MD, but I, I just didn't think that was a good fit for me. So this was a really cool option. So I spent 18 years in the medical device industry. And actually, I talk all about this in my book. So if I'm kind of blowing through some stuff and you want to learn more and you're listening today, you can get a free copy at nextlevelincome.com. There's a book link there. But I talk about how... Uh, I use that money that I made in my sales career to invest, and ultimately those investments are what allowed me to leave that that career. And my actually my official last day is in two weeks. Oh well, congratulations in advance on that. Uh, so that concept now, a lot of our listeners, Chris, are business owners that have done something like that with their business. They've they make their money at the business and then they invest it. And let's say, first of all, let's buy the building that we're renting, yep. so that we don't have you know we pay rent to ourselves and we build wealth and equity. Uh, and then from there, let's use the business to buy 
you know, per, more personal income, more personal assets, and set myself up so I'm not so reliant on the business when I'm ready to retire and its equity. Instead, I've got these different money machines. So I really like the concept of what you're talking about. And you also used a concept called infinity banking to establish a family bank and supercharge investments. Tell us about that. Yeah, so first off, we work with a, a lot of high-income earners, but also business professionals um, with, with our business, with our passive investments, because like you said, you know, owning your own building if you're a business owner and then expanding into owning other commercial assets can be a really beneficial blended strategy. So too can infinite banking. Uh, on our website, on the banking page, we have a white paper and a video that goes into it. But really, if you think about the, the highest cost in your life, probably the first cost is going to be income tax, right? So taxes that you're going to pay. The second highest cost, especially if you're a business owner, are going to be, is going to be financing, the interest that you pay to banks. So what if you could become your own bank, and with that bank that you end up funding, you can then go out, you can buy business equipment, you can buy cars, you can fund things like college, you can use it as an emergency fund, but you can also fund opportunistic cash flow investments like real estate, and that's the strategy that we teach. So becoming your own bank just by being good at at uh, continuously reserving, uh, being serious about re- uh, there, there's some great strategies out there. I won't go into all of them that, that I've read about, but where you, you pay the concept of pay yourself first, whether it's a business or uh, profit first, I guess is the name of another one. Uh, uh, something like that, Perfect right? Work, where yep. you're setting up, you're being serious. You have a, a, an intent of, of, of setting up your own reserves to be a, your own bank because why not? Right. That's exactly and then, and right. And you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, Bill. It's not, this isn't like some magic wand that you wave and all, all of a sudden you have a bank and you can just go take as much money as, as you want. It takes a while to fund it and set it up. But if you're intentional, ultimately that money can grow. There's a ton of tax advantages that are out there. Actually, the tax advantages were so great. Congress passed laws to kind of roll some of those back because people were abusing them back in the 80s. But if you go into it consciously and think about, you know, especially whole life cash value life insurance, as a tool, not just a cost like term term insurance that provides something, but actually use it as a tool as part of your overall strategy, it can act almost like a Roth IRA. And I, I call it like a, my supercharged savings account. And in my book, mm-hmm. I actually rewrote my book that released a year ago um, to include a chapter called Your Opportunity Fund. And this isn't your Opportunity Zone Fund, but your Opportunity Fund. And really, I ask investors, like, what are you doing with your money between deals? If it's just sitting in the bank, what if you could put it to work in two places at once? And that's that's exactly what you can do with this concept. That's really – well, you're, you're preaching to the choir. We've talked about uh, cash value life insurance as, as a tremendous tool that's uh, got – tax advantages that uh, they've just got a really strong lobby let's put it that way <laughs> they, they one of the one of the areas Indeed. that hasn't they've been, been around shellacked. longer than the IRS right <laughs> right so anyways that's a great concept um, for for anybody who's looking at like how do I create create that bank and protect things at the same time now tell me a little bit about this you you believe that multifamily real estate is the holy grail of real estate investing Tell us, tell us a little bit about that and, and why. Yeah, so in my book, I, actually the subtitle of my book, how to, keep, how to Make, Keep, and Grow Your Money Using the Holy Grail of Real Estate, I stole that term in a sense from Ray Dalio, who 
many would consider to be, if not Warren Buffett, Ray Dalio, the, the most uh, successful investor of all time, hedge fund manager. And Ray talks about how being able to increase your returns and decrease your risk is the holy grail of investing. And when I started doing my research, this was about uh, a little less than 10 years ago, I was sick of managing my own single family properties. I, had, I was on call. I had a family at this point. I was like, Bill, I don't need to deal with this. So I started looking at other options that were out there. And as I looked at commercial real estate, I wanted to focus on areas of commercial real estate that had the lowest risk, that had the best risk-adjusted returns. And when I looked back historically and I looked at where the demographics were going forward, what I saw was that multifamily real estate, not only was it stable, as 2020 proved out, but also it had the ability to provide income, passive income, and lower risk in your portfolio. So I call it the holy grail. I'm not, I'm not blind to the fact that there's other options out there, and I certainly talk about that on my own podcast, and we look at different, different opportunities that are going to be there in the future. But I certainly think that multifamily has been a, a very stable place for capital and investment, and I think it's going to persist uh, in the near future as well. People need to live somewhere, that's for sure, and that's um, uh, certainly an area uh, in the real estate marketplace that's, that does persist. Uh, what about, uh, uh, you know, these days, and again, a lot of our listeners may, may be coming to the end of owning a business and maybe getting uh, hopefully some, some proceeds from the sale of that business, and they're thinking, you know, I look around, uh, my, my bank account basically pays me point zero zero nothing. My, my the bond accounts yeah. are very close to point zero zero nothing, and probably will lose money when interest <laughs> rates go up. My stock, the stock market's at all time highs, and I don't even I don't know if I have confidence in that it's even should be where it is now. Um, so I've got real estate, I've got other alternative types of investments. What would you say to someone these days um, who's in that you know it, right now as we sit and, and somebody with with some money to invest? Uh, what would you? What advice would you give them? Not exactly what to buy, but how to look at the market today. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of good points, Bill. Um, when it comes to the stock market, you know, I don't know whether it's going to go up or down tomorrow or, or the next year. But what I do know is that we're at historically high valuations. So certainly, I think if if you're highly concentrated in the stock market, you should at least consider some diversification. I think the bond market, again, it may go higher, it may go lower. Um, there's a lot of people that I was actually having this conversation an hour ago that think that rates are going to continue to go lower as they have around the world, but some think that they're going to go higher. So one of the nice things about multifamily real estate is that when you add it to your portfolio, it decreases the risk. But the other thing is from a practical perspective, if interest rates go up and the economy is on a tear, rents go up. We, have, we don't have enough supply, right. so rents, rents have been going up because of a supply problem. You know, if, if it goes down, cap rates compress, you can refinance at lower rates, you, lower rates, your income goes up. So unlike a house where as prices collapse, you know, the value of the house goes down, as rates collapse, you actually can increase your income, and what happens is you're able to actually increase the value of that property. So it, it, it allows it to be an inflation hedge in a lot of ways. And then if, if deflation occurs or, or even just low rates occur, you have the ability to refinance. There's more capital there. So that's, that's another uh, reason I think people should look into it. Um, when it comes to other, other asset classes out there, uh, we certainly talk about you know, a lot of other stuff. I've, I've talked to you recently how 
you know, about in the last six months, I think we had a really opportunistic uh, time to look at oil and gas and different energies that are out there. Uh, with the new administration, if you look back historically, Obama was really good for oil prices. As we shut down supply in this country, that's going to constrict the amount of supply, which naturally you have prices sure. go up if demand increases as well. So that's just two two ideas that I think investors could explore as they uh, look look going forward. Thumbs up or thumbs down on commercial real estate? Thumbs up. You mean office? Are we talking about office? Yeah. Yeah, Off, office, retail, uh, whatever. Yep. So I think uh, office and retail. Um, so retail, um, I would give I would give probably more thumbs down than thumbs up. Um, certainly. Well, let me rephrase it. Maybe neutral, but definitely more thumbs down than thumbs up. When it comes to commercial office, I think you have to be careful of where you're buying. So if you look at net, net in and out migration patterns, if you look at big cities, I would be very hesitant to buy offices in big cities. I would want to concentrate more on suburbs in areas that are, are going to be growing, not dying, or are in more pro-business, lower-tax areas like Florida, for instance, versus somewhere like California or New York. So you're a former professional cyclist with an engineering background. You've interesting, diverse pattern of facts going there. Um, what metrics, <laughs> when you look at it, when you look at the market, what metrics are most important when evaluating investments today? Yeah, so uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to be accurate in case anybody I know is listening or they check into my background. I didn't quite go pro. pro. My team went pro. I ended up, that was the year I quit. Um, so I, I guess I probably could have, but I didn't. I was a high-level high elite cyclist. Um, you were good. You were good. And cyclists, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Engineers and cyclists are data-driven. So I look first at a, at a high level. And I actually talked about this in a recent blog post about, like, where to move next. You can look at migration patterns. So number one, look at where people are moving. Number two, look for cities that are growing faster than the national average. Number three, look for areas that have healthy incomes. This would be like average incomes uh, that are significantly above the national average. So uh, the property we have under contract right now in Orlando, Florida, the average income in that area is about $65,000 a year. So that's going to help support you know, the ability to for uh, those residents to pay rent, right? And then, you know, when you look at other statistics on a on a deal by deal level, you have to really consider the operator. You have to consider the cost to run the property and the potential for improvement in the income on those properties. So, uh, final couple questions for you. Tell us uh, again, uh, once again, the title of the book, and is that is it available? You know, on Amazon, your website. What's the best place to find your book? Let's start with that. Yeah, well, if you want to pay for it, you can get Next Level Income on Amazon. But if you're listening today, I will give you a copy if you go to our website, nextlevelincome.com. Click on the book link. You can get a free download there. I'll also send you a copy if you put your address in. We also have white papers, and we have some videos under our banking section if you want to learn more about the uh, cash value insurance strategies. We have a ton of blog and, and podcasts up on the website as well. If there's ever anything that I can help anybody with or answer any specific questions, you can personally get a hold of me at Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at nextlevelincome.com.
good listen, a good read, and uh, a lot of great information today, Chris. I really appreciate you uh, taking time to to share that with our listeners, and uh, I hope our, our listeners will, in kind, get in touch with you. And I hope you'll come back someday and uh, and share some more information. We can dig deeper into some of these uh, stories that I'm sure you have about everything from cycling to uh, to, to some of your better and worst investments. <laughs> <laughs> be a lot of Bill, fun. I'd be happy to do that. I love what I love what you do for your audience, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to to share with them today. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.